Hey there, Mike Stelzner coming to you with a fascinating update you might not be familiar with. Did you know that Social Media Examiner can deliver all the marketing, training, news, and trends, insights that you need into your inbox three days a week when you sign up for our newsletter and it's completely free? Simply visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates and take your marketing to the next level. Welcome to the Marketing Agency Show, where we explore solutions to the biggest challenges faced by agencies. Hey, y'all. Thank you so much for joining me for the Marketing Agency Show, brought to you by Social Media Examiner. I'm your host, Brooke Sellis, and this is the show for agency owners and agency marketers. We explore the topics that no one else is talking about, so pull up a seat to the table and let's have a great conversation. Today, I'll be joined by Lauren Teague, and she's going to teach you how to 10x your content. Also, if you're new to this podcast, be sure to follow the show so you don't miss any of our future content. Let's transition over to this week's guest, Lauren. To help explore the frontier of working at and growing agencies, here is this week's expert guide. Hey, y'all. I'm so excited to be joined by Lauren Teague. If you don't know Lauren, she's the founder and CEO of FanWagon, a re-commerce startup that enables sports fans to buy and sell team apparel from their closets. She also hosts the Brand of Fan Show, a podcast that unpacks the phenomenon of fandom for business leaders, marketers, and entrepreneurs. Lauren... Welcome to the show. Thanks, Brooke. I'm super excited to be on with you on the Marketing Agency Show. Longtime listener, first time caller. Yeah, love that. Thank you for listening. And I just have to say, like, I'm obsessed with the podcast. I'm gonna have to start listening to yours because I talked about fandom in my book last year. And I think that's a big topic. We might even have to have you back on to cover that, right? At some point. But I think today what we're talking about is very important. It's all about amplifying your content, right? We're sitting here, we're creating all this content as agency owners. And then what? (laughs) It's funny because we've been creating content, most of us, like our phones are a digital archive of a decade's worth of content, at least. And so when you go looking for something that you need to create, like likely it's already been packaged in some way, shape or form. I've been working with people on this, like let's just unpack, like use your phone search to find a video from that place or from that conference or from, you know, a a thing that you did that you remember talking about. So we are always creating content. We are caught up in this cycle and now it's been like literally a decade or more of content marketing at the forefront. So most of us are sitting on a wealth of content. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I know people are going to get so much out of our talk today. But for those watching and listening, let's start with the first question, which is always, what made you jump and do this crazy thing called agency ownership? (laughs) (laughs) I fell into running kind of my own personal agency. I spent seven years as the social media lead for the PGA Tour. And when I moved across the country, it was before that was an opportunity, like there would have been an opportunity for me to continue in that role. So that was like end of 2014. And remote work was certainly not an option at that time. And so I had to say goodbye to my dream job. Luckily, I had some good friends. And when I was trying to network to find the next thing that I was going to do, 
two friends actually encouraged me to stay independent and start my own thing rather than go work for another corporation or, or organization. One of those was Jay Bear, and he actually invited me to be part of his Convince and Convert consulting team, which probably listeners of this podcast are quite familiar with both Jay and the CNC team. I had done some agency internships and things, having both a PR degree and a journalism degree, but I hadn't done agency in a while. So I kind of came in and was like, okay, what does it look like? to be part of this consulting group, to be part of this strategy. And oh, there's actually a few people that want to keep working with me from my PGA Tour days. So I actually set up my own LLC. And that was the relationship with the consulting group was I was a consultant on retainer. um, And then that allowed me to then continue on with some of my own personal clients as well. And so that's how I started kind of doing the solopreneur piece of it. I loved working with Convince and Convert. We had the world's most interesting clients, that's brands from uh, B2B, B2C, healthcare, higher ed, tourism, like all across the gamut. It was every day was different. And so I love that. And I love then being able to take on my own clients to say, here's how I can help you from the social media side, from the content strategy side, from overall kind of your your whole marketing philosophy and position. And so as my skill set evolved, then I was able to offer that on the side more. In 2020, obviously, that was a kind of a, another chance to look at what we were doing and how we were doing it. And I actually took some of the content and the frameworks that we had that I had been using, and I actually kind of simplified some of that and made it available to small and medium-sized businesses working through my chamber and area chambers to just offer content for businesses who are in kind of recovery mode, right? Kind of in a panic and a recovery mode. So for the last two or three years, I've also been kind of focused on how could I help the little guys, which has been really, really rewarding because I live in a relatively small town in a suburb of Portland. And to make sure that my local sandwich shop was following the trends of like online ordering and like streamlining menus and having the right snippets appear on Google and using their Google business pages and things like that became also really important, right? So just as important because that's somebody I frequent every every week. Let's not say every day, (laughs) but like making sure that those local business owners had the same, you know, they're working, worrying about so many other things, at least had access to the same tools and and strategic thinking and the kind of the prompts and the frameworks to do that. So let's talk about that because on our pre-call, you kind of were blowing my mind because you have this philosophy around content application. Uh, amplification. And you were saying, you know, we can take what you have and 10x some of this content. So I'm like dying to know, and I'm sure everybody else who just heard that their ears pricked up, right? How do you define and measure that kind of 10x growth on, is it one piece of content, the stack of content you have from the past? Like explain that a little bit more. Yeah. So as a disciple of Jay Bear, uh, one of the earliest things that he started talking about, probably before many other people kind of got on this band, Wagon was the thought about atomizing your big content. So from the very first strategy deck I did with CNC, we always included the lesson on how to turn one piece of content into eight pieces of content. And that's the exercise, right? And it sometimes looks like we sit around a table or a Zoom call um, with your team. And my favorite way to do this is just to say, okay, we've got a big report coming out, right? We've, we've, we've done the research. We've got the report. We know the report is coming out. To 
to tweet about it, to post about it once or twice, to send it in an email and post it on your your website is fine, but it's also shortchanging the massive effort that you put towards the research, the summaries, the executive summaries, all of the things that you could do with that. So the exercise is take your team around the table and then in the thought of no bad answers, we just talk about how that could look, feel, and be different, like be used in a different way. And you just go around the table. So if you've got five people around the table, everybody just says one thing. Somebody's writing it down. And if you comes to your turn and you can't think of anything, you say pass. And then it keeps going around the table. Generally, like the least amount of thoughts, like brainstorm that we can pull from this exercise is about like 30, 30 different ways to take a research paper. And this is, you know, obviously just an example, but I take a research paper and repurpose it. And then once you can think about how you want to repurpose it, you can also think about the story, kind of the angle you want to take to cover that. So that gives you way more options. And you can also then think about what, if you've got different formats, then what channels are most appropriate for that and determine then how, uh, you know, how an infographic looks on Instagram versus on a reel, right? How does this live in your email? How does this live on a podcast? How does this live in, in different ways? And so you can really take one idea or one piece of content and atomize it to an exponential amount of content. So that has always been part of my like strategic thinking of, you know, again, we're on a content treadmill. We're always doing the things that we're pumping out content consistently. But when we spend time on these big, massive efforts, they should live for us for years, not, not a week. And so that's kind of where that train started. I've got a new framework that talks about how to go from an idea or from a content pillar into an exponential amount of content and then how to use AI then once you know what you need, how can we use like generative AI to do it? And that's where kind of like that 10x actually seems pretty small, right? Like yeah. Like 10x is a, like a safe bet. It's the it's the least amount you should be able to get from your content. Uh, well I promise y'all this isn't a setup, but literally I'm about to publish our state of social care report for 2023. We always you know release it at the end of the year for the following year. But oh my gosh, now I'm like, okay, I've got to get everybody on a call and we're going to sit around the table and we're totally going to steal this <laughs> idea around the table of giving, you know, ways to do it and then, you know, pass or keep going until we reach something. But then I'm also excited to hear about the next steps. But let's let's back up a little bit. So like, let's say we'll just use B squared, right? B squared media is a client of yours. We've got this, you know, report, this existing piece of content. What key factors or indicators do you look for that signal and opportunity for amplification? So yes, maybe it's easy to say we have this report, but like, what if I'm a client of yours who, let's give two scenarios. Client A has this cool report. Client B in an alternate universe, B squared media has nothing. I'm just starting out. I'm starting from scratch. What do you look for to signal opportunity for implication in both of those scenarios? So if you have the great report, breaking it out in my framework, you start with kind of your content pillar. So you have an idea and or a piece of content, and then you take it through your pillars. Well, just there, if you can make that report applicable to two of your pillars, that's a great start. Then you can actually take it through your audiences and your stages. So you might then be able to multiply that application 
in one or two pillars than by two different audiences or two different stages for the same audience. Because who's looking for you from a a research perspective versus a client that's already or a customer that's already been with you and is looking for ways to stay connected. Yeah. But they're going to need different things. So you can map then your content by audience and stage. And then you can talk about what's the nugget, right? If you've got five takeaways from a report and you're doing two different audiences, well, now there's 10 different kind of ideas, trains that you're, you're working off of. Well, what if we covered that differently? Each one, each idea for each audience stage, two different ways, okay? Now it grows again. Now we can say like, what does a historical comparison look like for someone who just has realized that they have this problem that you can fill and you have the information? How can we show them kind of the historical comparison of, you know, before and what happens today? And then how can we show them like a demonstration of how this, this actually works, right? So then, so you've got 10, now you've got 10, you know, now you've got 20 and then like, okay, now which channels, right? So it takes the like obligation of like, oh, I need content, right? The signals for amplification is interesting because there are so many different signals. One that stands out is like the seasonality, right, of your business and where your sales cycle might be. Um, so painting specific kinds of content to specific times of the year, right? If you know that your sales cycle starts at a certain time, well, you want to have all your lead gen content and your top of funnel content ready to go, right? And you're looking at what is our what is our gated content? What is the giveaway? What's the free thing? What's the what's the thing that they can kind of do with us before they make that decision? And that includes also your on-site activations. What are the handouts? What are the things that somebody scans the QR code at the event at our booth? You know, those kinds of things. So seasonality is part of it. Timeliness is another part. So you've got your end of the year report coming up. So obviously like there's two quarters, right? Q4 and Q1, that that's going to really be the bulk of the usefulness of that content. But you and I both know, Brooke, that we're reaching for reports all of the time. And if it's like within one or two years, that's still applicable. So something that you put out two years ago could actually be a comparison point for kind of that contrast of like what we've done. So it's not that content goes. And I'm also a huge proponent of real time. So if there's something that's trending and you know that you have a piece of, you know, oh, we have something about that, like you can pull that forward. So those are, and then what, honestly, uh, the best signal for amplification is what your people actually like. Like what your audience is actually going for. <laughs> what are they opening? What are they reading? What are they sharing, right? Yeah. Using your Google alerts, using your social listening, using kind of the signals for that, that dark media that we can't always see that dark social, but you can get signals for what people are actually taking, quoting, passing on. And so this is actually a good point for your company, your scenario where you're just getting started in, maybe it's just getting started in a vertical or an industry or a new product or a brand new group. You can curate so much of this. If you know who your audience is and what they care about, you don't have to write the thing. You don't have to have published the thing to use the thing. Social media has always been about like borrowing the best ideas and amplifying other people's work as well. In fact, we used to say you should curate at least half of your content that you publish, whether it's UGC or creator content or, you know, B Squared put out a great report. So I'm going to cite it and I'm going to pull out a nugget and I'm going to put it on my LinkedIn, right? So you can start with those things. In fact, you could 
in here in Q4, as we know that the research is all coming out, you could just have a couple Google Docs that are like, here's some key things that our audience is looking to know. And we can actually take top 10 insights from 20, like going into 2024. And you can cite the different research studies that are coming out. And you don't have to have done all of those pieces. So curating your content, I feel like we've completely got away from that, which is hilarious because we live in a creator economy. Yeah. So many people are creating content for us on a B2B side, on a B2C side, and whatever you call TikTok, right? So that is, that is, uh, there's so much out there. Like to have to have the original byline isn't necessary today. It's putting the content into action and putting it in front of your audience in a way that like signals what they care about. Did you know that we can deliver awesome marketing info directly into your inbox? Simply subscribe to our weekly newsletter that comes out three days a week. You won't miss any of the updates going on in the world of social marketing. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates. What you are saying needs to be heard, right? Like you were living in a creator economy yet everybody's like racing to try to create like all this content, like hi curation. Remember that whole thing? Yeah. Well, Beautiful. so do it. <laughs> I'm excited to talk to you about the next step. So you were kind of saying like, there's certain tools and methodologies that you use to kind of enhance and amplify your client's content. You also mentioned AI. So let's let's start with like, what are the old hat tools? Like is Google Trends something that you use a lot? What are, what are some of the old tools that you use? And then let's travel into current times. And obviously everybody's talking about AI. I would love to hear what your, your take is there for AI and amplifying content. So I'm definitely an old school social media, both user and, and marketer and, or manager, right? So I, I started using social media for business in 2007, literally, which is makes me pretty much one of the OGs. <laughs> so some of those things, like you said, are old hat. Some of those I still use, right? I still follow hashtags on certain platforms and so that they show up in my timeline. I don't have to just go look for them. So whether it's LinkedIn or Instagram or whatever we're calling Twitter these days, that is, you know, like you can, hashtags are still fairly relevant in there from a curation side, right? You can follow a hashtag and it can bring you that content in real time. Google Trends, Google Alerts still for certain things, obviously social listening, even a rudimentary tool can allow you to see like a mention.com or something like that can allow you to set up like one or two alerts and just follow whether it's a topic, whether it's a client, whether it's a, a headline, you know, a keyword, those kinds of things, you can still pull that out. So there's a lot of ways to do that. I also really love that so many people are curating already, like they're the pre-curators for us. So it's like the morning brew, it's the daily carnage, like <laughs> yes. these newsletters, like, I mean, media post and, and so many people are already curating content for you to put together in your morning newsletter. They're the ones working hard overnight. So they've already like kind of found the things that are most relevant to their audience or their story. So that's already like a great starting point. So you might find one one link from each newsletter you read. And if you subscribe to six or 10 newsletters a morning, right, you're going to get, whether it's from the skim or, or any of these other places, right? We, it's kind of interesting. Remember, we're all people. So things that like maybe do come out of the skim sometimes are relevant to bring over. Some of the things that, you know, as a speaker and someone who is trying to write and create more content that people can relate to, I'm looking all over the place for kind of mainstream application of the idea. 
so you can bring it back. So you can talk about it and, and put it in a way that, that people really understand. So you can get kind of that inspiration anywhere. Those are still those old hat, like the newsletters you subscribe to, the hashtags you follow, the people that you still have curated to follow on these platforms, like look for their content to see what you could use and make relevant to your audience. Do you want to jump into AI? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. So I started the Brand of Fan show in February 2023. So earlier this year. Well, I have a team of myself and like half, a per, half another person. So what I was trying to do was this more juice for this squeeze. How can I get the most value out of every single episode? And what I've realized, Brooke, is that I'm actually, I could do like, 24 episodes a year and call it a season because I'm extracting so much content from each episode. I don't actually need to adhere to the weekly cadence that I've committed to, which is funny, but I have so much content from each episode that I actually like don't have enough places to put it right now, which is a really good problem to have. Yeah. I can take one podcast episode and spin it into 30 social graphics using quotes and using Canva's bulk create and then using their animate all button and then their magic resize, right? So I can take one template and I can get Instagram graphics. I can get animated Instagram story graphics. I can get square graphics that can go other places and I can animate those too, right? It's just a matter of of how you export that because I'm bulk exporting or I'm bulk creating with a list of quotes and all of the different things that I have on my template. In less than an hour, I can get all of those pieces done. That's just graphics for the show. I can take video. So I record my podcast like you. I record a video version of my podcast and Zoom has an auto highlights tool in it. And so Zoom is already recommending about a third of my interview. Like you, my episodes are about 45 minutes long and I can get those highlights down to about 15 minutes based on what I know, like, oh, I remember this, this question was good. This comment was good. So I'll kind of skim through the episode and auto, like I'll edit the highlights. I'll pull out the 15 minutes I want. Then I put it in a tool called Pictory and Pictory.ai allows me to edit that video and customize it by the text transcript it generates. So now I can just go, instead of scrolling through my timeline and trying to find exactly the right moment and how that, with one click, all the ums come out. With another click, all the weird pauses come out. Now I'm editing by text. Oh, that's the quote. Okay, is that, Oh, that's 28 seconds. Where else can I add another like piece of that quote or the follow-up of the conversation? And it allows me to like choose exactly what I want for the clip. Then one click, here's my branded template for my, whether it's my watermark or my captions, right? In the style that looks like the show. Another click, I can go 16 by nine. Another click, I can go nine by 16. So now I'm able to export however many video clips from each podcast episode from the say 15 minutes that I deem worthy, I could probably pull 15 clips or a, like a a highlight version of the show. And that goes on YouTube, that goes on TikTok, that goes on reels, that goes on Facebook, right? So I have now all the video content that goes with the graphics and the pull quotes and things like that. And then I use cast magic as a way to cast magic takes MP3s and MP4s I think YouTube links and also like your Zoom meetings as well. And it, it auto generates another, a transcript on its own of that. And then it auto runs anywhere between 10 and 20 ish 
I don't know that limits exist in this tool. It auto runs the GPT prompts that you might have been doing on your own. I used to feed in a transcript and then auto and then prompt for two hours while watching Netflix on a Sunday night. Now we add the, the finished episode to my space in Cast Magic. It generates the transcript and then in five minutes, it auto runs all of these prompts. So I've got suggestions and brainstorm opportunities for titles, for the in this episode timestamp, for pull quotes that it's identified for. And I've modified and, and added my own custom prompts so I can get a pretty close to what I want to use. Email newsletter, LinkedIn content, social posts, threads, like you name it, right? I even have a prompt in there that is, give me an actionable activity or like brainstorming activity in the form of maybe a worksheet that somebody would use in conjunction with the episode so that I can like think through how to make this actionable. I very rarely take that and like use it verbatim. But for me, I can always respond to words on page. I'm a great editor and sometimes starting from blank page is very hard. So I can take that and say like, no, as a consultant, I would actually do this, this, and this, and this activity. But now I have, I like have that kind of piece that I can work off of. And so every episode in my newsletter, I've got here are three thought starters, three ways to put the lesson from this podcast into action this week in your business. I'm like taking mental notes in my head. I wish I could write it down, but I'm trying to pay attention also. Well, I did write it down. Yeah, <laughs> I did. It's a it's a blog post on my site um, on laurenteague.com and it's five ways that AI and automation help me with every podcast episode. Okay, well, we'll be sharing that in the show notes, which happen on YouTube. So if you're listening and not watching, head over to YouTube when this comes out and check and we'll make sure we have the link to that. But this kind of brings up another question for me. How do you make sure that this, all of this content that you're producing so easily, I might add, taking a real like burden and efficiency to content amplification and even creation, how do you make sure that this content remains relevant and that it continues to drive results over time? Is this something like, can you future proof the content that you're amplifying through these strategies and tools that you're talking about? Well, I think that's where the the strategist mindset comes in, right? So your AI and your automation, like you can just pull this out and just run it. For many, many, many years, brands and and agencies have used Twitter like a virtual billboard. Whether you like it or not, I mean, most of us have been guilty of that in some way, shape or form, right? It's like, it's just your RSS feed on steroids for people to use it. So is that strategic? No. Can you continue to do it? Yes. The strategy layer comes in back into the, hey, this is kind of in the news or this is this is important to this part of my audience. Oh, I did an episode on that or I have a blog on that or I did a video on that. What do I need to do to make that, to refresh it, to pull it back in and make it relevant today? I have lots of keywords and things attached and tagged to my content on my desktop and in these tools so that I know like, oh, I'm talking about culture and I've talked about culture three other times in the last, here's like these three top episodes. So if I pull episode eight forward to go with episode 28, right? I can say like, if you like this one, you might also like X, Y, or Z. Or I could have a whole week on on employee experience using these clips from different episodes. And I'm putting things together in a way 
that makes sense for the audience at the time that they're, you know, that I want to present that to them. So it's, it's both kind of having like that portfolio of content so that you do have it ready and you might just have to make a couple more tweaks, which again, starting from the middle is much easier for me than starting from scratch. And I think that like, I'm not alone in that. I know that for a fact. Some people, I mean, Anne, Anne Handley can open up like 20 blank windows and write brilliance into all of them, right? It's going to take me a lot longer to kind of like get moving. I need a little words on page assistance. And rather than doing like stream of conscious writing for 12 minutes, I'm going to start from like something that I already have or something that I already know. And so that's kind of where I've decided to go with that. Well, let's dive in there because there must be other significant challenges that you've encountered, either with yourself or with the clients that you work with. What are some of those challenges that you see when it comes to amplifying content, again, for yourself or for your clients? And how do you overcome them? Because I'm sure there are people who are listening who are like, yeah, it's easy for you to take from this because you have this and this. And it's easy for Anne to do it because she's Anne, right? Like that's her superpower. (laughs) But like, Give me just a sneak peek into some of those challenges that are significant and then how you think people listening or watching can overcome them. Yeah. So I've worked with a lot of clients in regulated industries where they have either in-house lawyers in counsel or like kind of these gatekeepers that have to approve the content, which means that doing anything reactionary or in real time is nearly impossible for them. Or clients that have to literally have a, a whole month's worth of content built out completely done and submitted to say the like government agencies for approval before they can do it. So they're kind of tied in the ways to do this. One thing is by the time we get to Q4, you probably have actually created all the content that you need for the year, unless you have something coming out, right? So it's a great time to play your greatest hits. And what we've done for clients is look back in Q4 or look back like in Q1 over the last year and say, here's your top performing content on your website. Here's your top performing, whether if it's podcasts, here's your top performing videos, here's your top performing social media content and posts. Now we're going to say like maybe 75% of that is actually fairly evergreen or seasonal, which means that if you did something awesome for 4th of July, right? Or something around like Independence Day, you know, something seasonal. Well, Let's just build on that because no one's going to remember what you did last year. <laughs> right. No one will promise you, right? Like only you are going to remember like what your graphic looked like or what your cheesy like caption was or, or how you kind of pulled your employees forward in that time. And so we'll deliver a, a December, January report that is, and we're not like here, let's regurgitate all your content, but we've identified 30, 50, 80 things that are like literally you could, they're already approved. Maybe the graphic has to be updated a little bit. Maybe the copy has to change a little bit, but generally like we can plug and play this stuff again in a way that works. And so for like regulated industries or people who don't have like the ability to, to do all this again, I'm so convinced I I probably will end up writing another talk about this is like move forward with the content that you've had and that you've had success with. The other reason why, Brooke, I think this is really important is because I'm not taking the time that I'm saving using like AI and other ways to like generate and build kind of my content production side. I'm not just wasting that away. Like I'm actually using the time that I get back to be more active and present 
in social media channels, to write better emails, to connect and comment and share things on LinkedIn, right? And so I'm actually taking the time from the content production of my like allotted social media or content time. And I'm actually more able to be active in the news feeds and be more social, which then that return comes back, right? Because you don't have to, even in a regulated industry, you generally don't have to get approval to leave a like or a quick comment, you know, a thanks on people, on other people's things. Great point. Thanks for this. Love this. When I was at the PGA Tour, we spent a whole month going through old content, like old video content that we could tag for creating gifts and stickers, right? Because we could use those in replies and it was way better than leaving a heart or uh, like, thanks for that, right? If you get a GIF and a reply, like that's kind of fun. So those are, again, things that can be pre-approved and then you can actually leverage those to be actually present as people in your social media feeds, like what a dream, what a dream if we could turn it from like glorified RSS to like a place where people actually, you know, talk to each other. Well, and I love the fact that you bring up the efficiency of AI and how to use that efficiency. We're doing the same thing. So like any efficiencies you get back from using AI, you should reinvest, right? Yeah. Into doing something really cool. And I think that's such a key point that you made. And then I hope everybody, if you didn't catch it, go back and hit the rewind button because that is key, right? We're looking at these AI efficiencies to go back and reinvest. And I love your point about reinvesting in those conversations in a branded way because there still isn't enough time, right? We're spending all of our time on content marketing and not enough of our time on engagement. And now that content has changed and platforms have changed and engagement's becoming harder and harder to get, I love that strategy that you just told everyone. So please, if you didn't catch that, hit the rewind button, go back and listen to what Lauren just said. So let's talk about that, right? The future of content marketing is, I think, I feel like we're on shaky ground, right? Because there's so much content out there. I could come up with what I think is like the most brilliant, unique, wonderful title right now. And it's probably already been written 1700 different ways. So what's your viewpoint on the future and the context of being able to take content and amplifying it? And how can we stay ahead of these changing times or ahead of the curve with our content and our amplification of that content? It's interesting that you said kind of we're on a shaky ground. I think we're on a transitionary point, especially with generative AI and kind of the use of these tools. Brooke, I'm speaking to hundreds of marketers every other week right now, it seems like. And when I'm talking to them specifically about social media, I ask like point blank, is today the best time to be working in social media? Raise your hand if you think that this is the best time ever to be working in social media. Zero. Like one hand per session, right? Like one brave soul is like, I kind of really like it. (laughs) But everybody else is like staring daggers at that one person, right? Because they're like, oh, it's so hard. It's so convoluted. There's so many things that we don't like about what we're doing. And I think in the workplace generally work feels like a lot of that is coming to a head. So it's not a surprise that content marketing is also on this space of like what it looks like. We're creating so much content, yet we live in the creator economy. So you actually don't have to. Like if you are a small team, maybe your best way to do this is to hire creators that work with your brand, that ampl- that that create things that then you can turn and amplify. Because like 
I won't project this on you, but I'm an older millennial. I was a broadcasting Gen major. X, you can say it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I was a broadcasting student when we still like edited with dials and VHS tapes. Yeah. And so when I go to TikTok, this is not, yeah, thumbs up for that. Uh, thanks iPhone camera, or thanks Mac camera. You know, it takes me longer to get, to lay out a TikTok in the way that they want you to edit that. So is that the best use of my time weekly? Like I could probably, I can bang out one or two, but if I was trying to to reach some sort of content quota, oh, I would rather have someone who has the expertise and I give them the video and I give them the the shot plans and, and the script and, and that kind of thing, right? So that's, you know, I think there's there's no reason to like put that burden on yourself. And instead you can pick one or two ways to shine. Maybe you can shine by actually showing up as human in your newsfeed. Maybe you can shine like the U.S. Consumer Protective Bureau where they're shining in alt text on their Twitter images. Like they're all, their use of alt text is like a giant Easter egg and people follow them, <laughs> right? Just for that. Maybe you're showing up in a way that is a little bit unconventional or specific to your brand voice and you can be recognized for that. You don't have to be everywhere. Thank you. And so I think like... I think we're making choices and if you're not making choices in your strategy season, then you should be able to go back and say like, do we get a return on X? Is it the thing? Is it generating the right kinds of business or the right kinds of lead for leads for us? If not, are we going to try something new there for three months and then make a decision? Or are we just going to cut and, and get out of that right now? That part of I think we can just make better choices for our audience, right? Lots of people are on LinkedIn. They've moved from LinkedIn, from like the Twitter platforms to LinkedIn in search of kind of that same community, the same information, the same articles, things like that. So if you haven't doubled down there, especially if you're a B2B business, right? The only way to make LinkedIn better, right? Get away from the, like all the in-mail and all the like weird requests and things like that. You got to show up and show them how it's done. So let's, Let's do that. Let's be more selective about the things that make our business better. The goal is never to be great at content marketing unless you just really want to win an award, right? <laughs> but even the award winners are great at business through the use of content marketing, not just because they had a great campaign idea. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's you're, you're speaking straight to my soul. I would raise the hand, by the way. I still love social media. I think we're just doing it all wrong and it's finally catching up <laughs> with us, right? So that would be me. Okay, so last question here, which is, you know, for those who are listening or watching, they're in a space of, you know, somewhere within their agency or maybe they're marketing within an agency, their job is content. What advice would you give them on your scaled approach to content amplification to help them, you know, come into their own, like like you so obviously have? Thank you. So the the framework that I was describing earlier is really to start with an idea, not the output, not the channel demands, not because as we talked about, like the exponential opportunities that you get by using kind of that kind of framework to say, I'm going to make a choice on an idea. Now I'm going to think about which pillar it lives in, one or two pillars. I'm going to think about which audience and at which stages that can apply to. Now I'm going to think about how I'm going to cover that, like which different angles I'm going to use to bring this story to life. Now I'm going to talk about how that might like look and feel differently as a video, as a template or a worksheet or as a 
an image-based or a UGC-based thing, then I'm going to decide which content or which channel to put that in. So starting with the ideas, because from the idea, we can get as much or as little content as we need, but not being subservient to the channels and the outputs and the quantity demands is actually a much better way to start. And you're going to be able to tag your content accordingly, right? So you might say, we actually need it like this. Oh, wait, two years ago, we have things like that. We can just refresh it in this way. Or we did this report in this style last year. Let's try a different angle for our video audience or for our blog audience. So that starting from the top with the idea allows you to make choices. And it's overwhelming a little bit just how many possibilities you can come up with. So when I tell people to like work through this framework, it's just choose one. Just make one choice, right? Put a, put your choices on paper, choose one, right? Just circle it. All right, how many angles? Okay, choose one, right? Choose the one that you want to do. And then just work through one choice at a time. Unless you have a huge team, then work through all the choices. I would love to see like how that actually, how that really does come to life in that way. But starting there with your good idea and putting it through these content marketing fundamentals we've already invested in. We've invested so much time and resources in creating audience journey maps. But when we don't map our content back to what our customers need, then like, what's the point? This is such brilliant advice. I mean, y'all, if you are not following Lauren or listening to this podcast or downloading this framework, what are you doing? Definitely. I know people now that I've said that are going to want to get in touch with you. What are you working on? Tell people where they can find you all the good things so that everybody can start doing this and like give like a sigh of relief on having to create content. Yeah. Thank you. So my website is laurenteague.com and the podcast is called Brand to Fan Show where we do unpack how fandom is used as a business lever. And so we talk about this kind of thing as well. And that website is brandtofan.show. I'm everywhere in socials as Lauren T. Teague. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on threads. I'm kind of on TikTok. <laughs> you can go there and Brooke, I'll give you a link for a special download of this framework overview. Also, I do a lot of speaking on this. And so I love to go out to both like big groups, but also I do an agency accelerator program. So I'll go in and because I'm exiting the agency business in favor of my startup, what I've decided is I have still a lot to offer to the agencies themselves and great proven frameworks that will help them like get more clients, keep more clients, make more money off their clients. Like these frameworks are available. Like I will teach them to you. You can use them. I have no, you know, I have no kind of rights. Well, I do have rights to them, but you know, I have no connection to like keep it mine because like you said, there's so many ways we could be doing this stuff better. And if I have a way that makes your agency better, then I'm happy to share it with you so that I don't have to go do that work. And yeah, it's fair. So I do an agency accelerator program as well. Love it. Okay, we will have links to all of this in the show notes, which happen on the YouTube channel. So if you are listening, make sure you go to the YouTube channel and get all of those cool links from Lauren underneath her video there. Lauren, thank you again. This was incredible. And you're such a great mind to know. Oh, thank you so much, Brooke. I had a great time with you. And like I said, long time listener, keep it up. Um, it's a great show. Thanks for listening. If you're new to this show, be sure to follow us. If you've been a long time listener, let your friends know about the show. I'm at Brooke Sellis on Instagram and Twitter. And for fun, make sure you tag at SM Examiner. Also, 
Be sure to check out our other shows, the Social Media Marketing Podcast and the Social Media Marketing Talk Show. This brings us to the end of this week's Marketing Agency Show. We'll catch you next week as we explore the adventures of marketing agency life. The Marketing Agency Show is a production of Social Media Examiner. Want more good stuff? Sign up for our top-notch social marketing newsletter. We deliver it straight into your inbox three days a week. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates.